welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Good to see everybody. Um, we are in a series called Spirit, and that's, that series is really about um, helping people understand what it means to be spiritual. It doesn't matter where I've gone in this world, um, people always have an understanding of spirituality. Um, they have an understanding of spirituality. And you, somewhere in your life, you've met someone who they said they're a spiritual person. And I, in my life, I've met so many people like that. Even beyond any kind of words that you would put to it, like a religion, they feel that there is something greater to this world that if this is a stage, we're playing out life. But they feel that there is a director behind the scenes working things together. And so there's this incredible moment that we have together where you feel a connection with something more. There's an awareness that there's something more. And so the way that a Christian would say that we live a life of spirituality isn't just the sense that there is a transcendent God far away, but we believe that there is a God who is close. And not only is he close to us, but he lives in us. We believe that there is one God, and we believe he expresses himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit indwells the life of the Christian, and he lives in that person, and he calls him to live a life that's different than other people in the world. And he, he bears fruit in their life. There's evidence in their life. And as a person lives more surrendered, dependent and aware of the Holy Spirit, that person sees power in their life. And they see themselves doing supernatural things through their lives. And so that is the incredible thing about spirituality in the Christian sense. Well, if you've had a moment in your life where you said, man, that was from God. You know, God calls people to do supernatural things. So you would say, even though you see a person doing something, you would say, now that was from God. One time I was a, I was a young man, I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid, so you know, I was always in church. And there was a moment where I had a really, really bad headache to the point where I started crying. And people started noticing that I was crying in church and I said my head hurt. And so the woman, uh, there was this woman, she took me outside and she said, um, you know, I wanna, I wanna pray for you, I wanna pray for your headache. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, you know, Motrin, this is why Motrin exists in Advil. So I was like, there's other ways. And so they, but they brought me outside. And, and the, this woman, I remember she, uh, she was an older lady and she, she brought me out to this little area and she says, I want to pray for you. And I was like, okay. And so she gets some anointing oil out. And, and so she's, I mean, and she's praying the lights down, you know, and, and I was, I was 10. So I was tremendously skeptical and just wanting to be out of this moment. It felt awkward and oil is dripping down my nose. And I'm just like, can we fast forward this? And so, and she, I mean, and when I say she was praying, I mean, she was just talking to God as if he was in the room and my headache went away and I was messed up because I was like, wow, I was not expecting that to happen. So she's praying and my headache goes away, but I was embarrassed because I didn't know what to say. In fact, I kind of wanted to like, get out of that moment. So she says, she says, is your headache still there? And I was like, yeah, not, not really. And she was like, it's gone, isn't it? Because I serve a mighty God. And she just, I was like, and she knew I was lying. So it was this crazy moment. And I was like, how did this little old black lady get my headache to go away? What just happened? And so I was kind of had this moment like, wow, that was from God. And God used her to do that. And that was kind of my first introduction to God doing things through people that I knew was not in the natural, but in the supernatural. And so this is the crazy thing. God uses people to do his work in this world. He, and he doesn't have to, but he, he calls us into deeper relationship. And through our love for God, we see things happening in and through us. And it is an incredible thing. You know, if you were to look in the book of Acts, you would see all these miraculous things happening through the people of God. You know, you look at a person like Paul, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that there were handkerchiefs 
and aprons that rubbed against the skin of Paul, and people were taking those handkerchiefs and aprons and using them to heal people, to have demons come out of them. Peter, Peter was this guy, when you look in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Peter was this person that always was messing things up, always saying the wrong things at the wrong times. The last thing he was, was eloquent. He was not a great communicator. But when you look in the book of Acts, he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved. There was this guy, Philip, they called him an evangelist. And he had this incredible ability to be at the right place at the right time because the Holy Spirit would lead him and he gave him the words to say. And he got into a chariot with a guy and started to explain the things of God because the things of God because the guy was reading the book of Isaiah. And then he ends up baptizing him. And it was this incredible thing where God was doing the miraculous. Now, when it comes to the gifts of God, they will not all be miraculous. They will not all be things that make you go, wow, that's amazing. But they will all be things that help the needs of this world. <laughs> For every need in this world, God has given a gift to meet it. It doesn't matter if it is physical, if it is spiritual, if it is financial, if it is relational. God has met every need with a gift. And so one of the things that I want to do in this sermon, in this message, is really not focus so much on the variety of gifts that are out there. Because one of the problems that we have is we focus so much on how God has gifted me that we haven't focused on what the needs of the community are. You see, the reality is this. If you would focus your life more on meeting needs and not how gifted you are, you will see God do things that you couldn't imagine. I mean, and what I'm saying is if you would just focus on helping people, serving people, because God has not just called us to be gifted. He's called us to be servants and to serve people who are broken and hurting. And we are living in a fractured world, a world where there are people who need someone to encourage them. And so that's why we have gifts of encouragement. We have people longing to have the Bible explained to them in a very powerful and potent way. And that's why we have teachers. We have, we, have, we have these moments where, yes, in some parts of the world you see more miraculous healings, but that could still happen in this world, and God uses people to do that. But it's not because he wants to make you feel better about, himself, about yourself. He does that so that this world could be blessed, and it could be evidence of his presence in this world by using the Holy Spirit through you. And so what we're going to talk about is just the nature of gifts and, and why we have them. And so uh, we're going to look at several verses. Um, one of the books that this became a huge problem in was the book of 1 Corinthians. book of 1 Corinthians, there was this division happening. Um, there were people who uh, spoke in tongues, and there were people who were very, very knowledgeable. Um, speaking in tongues, we're going to talk about that next week some, but speaking in tongues was this incredible ability to speak other languages so much so that people knew God was working through you while you spoke another language. And there was this incredible ability to have knowledge. And so you had knowledge people and you had these supernatural tongues people in this church. And it caused a lot of controversy. And, you know, interestingly enough, that's where our church is today. Our church is really divided by people who want to know more information. And then there are people who just want an incredible encounter with God. They want, they, they want an emotional experience, and another people want an informed experience. And I believe that the Holy Spirit cannot be divided. The Holy Spirit has called us to be one body, and so much so that we would be informed and, be, and have an incredible experience with God. The Bible says that he's a spirit of truth. So we should be learning some truth, but we should also be feeling the presence of the Spirit. And so, so, so as we go through this, I think we're going to see an incredible way that God calls us to be unified, but also to have diversity. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul is dealing with some major issues here, with people who are very gifted, but not very loving. <laughs> he says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So 
one of the first things he mentions here in this chapter is there is a chance that you could be a person who has the spirit of God living inside of you, but you don't know what God has called you to do or made you to do. He says, I, the last thing I would want is for you to be uninformed. You know, uh, a poll was taken years ago that 87% of Christians don't know what their gift is. And that would mean that a good portion of the body of Christ really doesn't know how they can be best used. And so when he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, what he's really saying is, the last thing I would want is for you not to be meeting great needs in the church. You see, because I know how I'm gifted, I know how I best meet needs. So if you don't know your gift, you might help us out, but there is a unique and specific way that the Holy Spirit is produced in your life that is not going to be like other people. It is going to be powerful. So it is important that you know your gifts. And so Paul starts us off, says, hey, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed. But the other issue that is here is kind of the issue of talent. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. You know when you normally say someone is gifted is when they're doing stuff from up front. And the issue that they had was they only define gifted people by people that do stuff from up front. So if I can talk, you say I'm gifted. And if I can sing, you say I'm gifted. If I can teach, you say I'm gifted. If I can do anything in the eyes of men, you'll say I'm gifted. But if I do things behind the scenes, you'll say I'm useful. You see? And so what he's saying is gifted people aren't the people, only people that are up front. Gifted people are the people who have the Holy Spirit with inside of them. And so that would be all of us. So we're all gifted. We're all gifted. And so what he'll say in verse four is now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So it doesn't matter if you have someone who is up front. An upfront gift is just as powerful as a behind the scenes gift. He says there's variety. There's all different types. So don't focus on one type of gifts. Allow there to be variety. I was talking to a couple this past week, and I told them, I don't want just to be known as a teaching church or a worshiping church. I want to be a church where people feel the presence of God. They, they feel it in all types, of, all types of people because I don't want to just minister to one type of person where we attract one type. And see, that's what he's going to say in, a, in chapter 12. Go to the next verse, because I think this is really the heartbeat of it. Um, he says in verses 17 through 18, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, as it is God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Look what he says. He says in the first part, what if everybody was an eye? He says we wouldn't be able to hear. If, if We wouldn't be able to, uh, to hear. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So he says if people aren't functioning in the gift that God has given them, it cripples the church. It doesn't allow the community to operate in the way that it's supposed to do. Now, he is using this illustration very intentionally because up here where he says if the whole body were an eye, He's talking about how the eyes are more noticeable than ears. <laughs> you know, when I, was in, uh, when I was in high school, this is no shade on anybody that wears contacts, right? But when I was in high school, you know, colored contacts were huge, you know? And I remember my, um, my roommate in, uh, right after college, he had these like hazel contacts. And I remember my wife was like, he has such cute eyes. I'm like, they contacts, yo, they're not even real eyes. You know, and so he, uh, so I remember, I remember saying to myself like, why, why do people do that? And part of the reason why is because it doesn't matter how a person looks. If they have really good eyes, somebody gonna talk to them. I don't care what, what, it's just the way that it works. Eyes are noticeable. Eyes supersede sometimes the way that they look everywhere else. And that's just the truth, right? So, so, we, so sometimes we look at eyes and we, and we think, wow, that's noticeable. And what he is saying is, if everyone were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? So let me put it a different way. If everybody just wants to be noticed, how will we really operate? And part of the reason why we long for, to be greatly gifted isn't because we want to serve well. It's because we want to be noticed well. And really, we use gifting as a byproduct of our hunger for identity and to feel better about who I am and not what I can do in this world. And so what he says is, 
But stop, you got to stop, stop, stop. If we don't have some ears, we won't be able to hear. And so when you look at the leadership gifts, when you look at gifts, there are gifts that actually say miracles, and then there's a gift of leadership. So we can't have all the miracle people walking around healing people and having faith. We ain't going to get nothing done. It says, in Romans, it says the leaders need to lead with diligence. But you may not be noticed. And so you cannot have a heart, the, the depth of your heart cannot be to be noticed. One of the points we have up at the very top there is spiritual gifts bring diversity, but they also bring controversy. Um, you know, I, I've talked about this before earlier in the year about gifting. But the nature of gifting is this, that when you have, when you are greatly gifted, when God has gifted you with something, you generally want to see it. You pound the table and say, this must happen. Generally, the gifts you have are the burdens you have. So, you know, oftentimes at one church I was at, people were like, we need to do more evangelism. We need some of it. Why aren't we hitting the streets? We need to hit up the block. Tell people about the Lord. We need to do some more evangelism. But then you had people who had a very benevolent help spirit, you know. So they're like, man, we need to go. We need to serve the poor, man. There's no poor. The poor people out there, we need to serve them. We need to know we need to serve some people, you know. And then I had my leaders, my organizers, like, what's our mission statement? Do we have a mission statement? We need to get our vision statement. What are our values? And everybody Everybody just, everybody's passionate about certain things. And what they don't realize is that the very thing that God has made you passionate about, he's calling you to do. So, so if, if, if we operate with a spirit of controversy, we'll complain about what we don't see. But if we operate with the spirit of compliment, in other words, not compliment using words, I mean compliment in terms of my position. I, I, the ear compliments the ear complements the eyes, meaning it helps the eye do what it can't do. So a spirit of complementarianism, meaning that I'm just coming, I have a role that I play, and I'm just helping out the body with where it's weak. I, I, can, I can find people who can identify weaknesses. <laughs> I can find them. It's harder to find servants that are going to meet the needs. And so the real heartbeat isn't identifying where we're weak. The real heartbeat is trying to meet the need. And if you can't meet it, you're praying that it gets met. So the heart, so, that, so, so diversity is great, but it will bring controversy. And as we grow, we will become more controversial because there'll be more types of people in here. That's what I tell people when they get married. Y'all gonna have problems. Of course you are. You're different than one another. You can't, you can't have differences, you can't have two different people and not think you're going to have differences. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point. whole point of marriage is saying we're just going to work through it. And the heartbeat of this is that we're going to work through it. We'll work through our differences, but utilize your gifting in the meantime to find solutions. So it's really the posture of a servant. It's having that heartbeat to meet needs. So diversity, well, spiritual gifts when, with diversity will always bring a level of controversy because we are different people. You know, the other thing that I think is, is ultimately important is to realize that spiritual gifts, and I said this just a second ago, but let me just say it in a real clear way. Spiritual gifts are not for the elite. There is not an elite class that have spiritual gifts. In uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, he says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, that word apportioned in other versions will actually say it's divided up. So he says the spirit who divides up gifts as he wills. So isn't that an amazing picture that the spirit of God actually in his own sovereignty, looks out in a crowd and kind of divides up gifting. He looks out and he gives some gifts to some and not some gifts to others. And he divides them. I think part of the issue there, too, is that he gives more gifts to some and less gifts to others. But if we looked at gifts from the standpoint of meeting needs, that means that this person will have more opportunity to serve and this person may not have the same opportunities, but still the same heart of service 
what the core of 1 Corinthians 12 is getting at one major idea. The gifts are divided, but the people should not be. Okay? The gifts are divided up, but people should not be divided. We should, we should have unity and diversity. Differences, yes. Diversity, yes. But no divisions. Christ is not divided. You will have a passion that is different than someone else. But the same spirit that lives in them lives in you. And that calls us to the deepest type of unity. A unity that goes beyond our ethnicity or the places that we're from or our, our proclivity to like certain things or our gifting. We are unified and we will be unified in the spirit. It goes beyond, above all gifting. Paul helps us to see that, but I, I think there are some um, other things I want to point out in here and, and point out um, in general in this message. Um, it is important to note that gifts are not talents. <laughs> They're not talents. Wow, there is a baby in there that is doing its thing. Let's pray, let's pray for that child. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, gifts are not talents. Um, we live in New York City. And this is a city of talent. This is a city where people don't care where you're from. They don't care how you sound. They care, are you good at what you said you're good at? This is a city that's all about skill. And who's got the greatest skill? And there's a tendency to bring that natural belief into the supernatural. To believe that it's all about great skill. And yet, Talents are given to me in the natural. But when you come to Christ, you are born again. And the Spirit of God indwells you. And so when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are given a supernatural ability. So that means that my natural talents may not be the same as my supernatural gifts. Now, generally, they will coincide. But there is a difference. You might be able to sing in the natural. But that doesn't mean you can lead worship in the supernatural. You may be able to teach in the natural, but that does not mean you will give people an encounter with God in the supernatural. The supernatural, meaning the spirit of God is working through you, means that people are walking away feeling blessed. They are feeling like they are more intimate with God, that they've had an encounter with God, that the, that the living God is using you to do something. But in the natural, well, it means you're skilled, but it does not mean that you are necessarily empowered, empowered by the Spirit. And so supernatural skill, in a sense, is giving evidence to the Holy Spirit. The other thing is, we had a, if you were here for Easter, you know, during our Easter service, we, you know, we saw people get saved, and it was an amazing thing. And one of the greatest things that I thought that happened in that service was when people walked up to me and say, hey, that was an incredible moment from God. They didn't say, man, that was a great sermon, or that was great music. They said, that was a great moment from God. And when you are so inclined by the Spirit using your gifts, people in some ways will stop thinking about you and start thinking about God. They'll see that God is using you and it will bring praise to God because the Holy Spirit has one job and it is to give glory to God. The Holy Spirit is never trying to, the Holy Spirit is not like, hey, 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 remember me, remember me? I know the Father and the Son are a big deal, but so am I. He's never like that. He's always giving glory to the Father and the Son. The, the Father and the Son. That's what his job is. So he's not calling me to bring attention to myself. It's about God's glory. And so people tend to sense the presence of God in what you're doing. And it gives glory to our God. The other thing that I think um, is, is ultimately important is that, and I, I want to say this in a few other points, that gifts are not your identity. Whew, man, it's such a, such a difficult point, especially in our church. We have such a young church. Um, you know, the average age is about 24 and, and 25 and and so it's very difficult for people to, to, to wrap their minds around this. So let me try to lean in this as much as possible. Your identity is in Christ. 
Your identity is in Christ. Meaning that when Jesus Christ died for you, it meant that he gave you a new position. And your position now, spiritually, is at the right hand of the Father. And that means that position cannot be lost. He gives you his spirit to live inside of you, and now you give him your life. And you are seated in heavenly places, the Bible says. You cannot lose that position as a child of God. You are his child, and you are loved, greatly loved. But people tend to do something really good and then get their value and worth out of what they do well. And so they find their identity in it. It's like if you had a driver's license and on it it said worship leader or on it it said preacher or on it it said teacher. In other words, you, when you pull out your identity, that's who you think you are. But the problem with that, there are several problems. The first problem is this. When you find your identity in the way that you've been gifted, you're leaning towards a life of burnout. Because if I'm only good enough in what I do, I got to always do it. I've got to always do it. I've got to, I've got, I mean, I've got to knock a, if I'm, if I am, if, if who I am is how I preach, then I better preach a home run sermon every week. I mean, y'all need to walk out of here crying every single week, <laughs> drooling. And they didn't drool? Oh my God, they didn't drool. I need you guys to be impressed every week. And if you're not impressed, I lose myself. I lose who I am. And so I got to keep doing it. And I'll burn out because I am not called to live on my identity. I'm called to live on him. Man cannot, when the Bible says man cannot live on bread alone, but he says every word of the Lord, what he's saying is get your sustenance from me, not what you do from me. Our sustenance is supposed to be from the Lord. And so we pour out to people because we're filled up. Not because we're trying to get something from them. So one of the great tasks of the believer is to always try to live a life of having Sabbath rest. Isn't it amazing that God rested on the seventh day? And then he commanded that we rest? And part of the reason why he made that command to rest was that he, we could see that he is still working when we're not. That the world is still, <laughs> the world's still moving. Because I'm, uh, you know, uh, this summer when we have our baby, I'm going to go on have a Sabbath. And you know what? The church's going to do great. Church's going to be banging. It's going to be awesome this summer. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is the leader of this church, and I am a servant. And he uses me to serve, but I am not, it's not dependent on me. And when you start thinking that you are the central cog in the wheel, you will burn out. So that's what happens when you find your identity in that. <laughs> you know, the other thing, it not only it, it controls you and consumes you, but then you start living a life of comparison. You see, if I'm the greatest preacher in Brooklyn, what happens when the greatest preacher of Brooklyn walks in the room? I start feeling sad. I start getting mad. I start getting a little frustrated. I'm comparing myself based upon what I do, and he does it better than me. So who am I now? And in many ways, I feel like an identity theft happened. You stole what I'm good at. You've robbed me of my significance, my value, and my worth. And so who am I now? My gifting does not define who I am. My gifting simply is an opportunity to give glory to God. Now, on one level we say, amen, yes, I am not my gifting. My identity is in Christ. So the real picture of being able to understand that isn't just saying that to yourself. The real picture of a person who is secure in themselves and not in their gifting is when they can celebrate the gifts of other people, particularly when, they do, when they're doing the thing that I think I can do. Because you're more concerned about the work getting done, not you being noticed. And can you celebrate other gifting? Can you truly celebrate when people do things well? And you know what, you know, the, the toughest part about this is that it is, this is so not a part of our nature. And we learn it from a very young age. One thing that we've started to do with our girls, um, there's, a, there's a tendency that when I buy my daughter 
You know, if I bought, buy one daughter some shoes, I need to buy the other daughter some shoes. Because, boy, if you don't buy that other daughter some shoes, there's going to be some problems, you know? She's going to be sad and mad and frustrated, so buy them both shoes. Problem is, that's not the way life works. There are times when someone has something I don't. And if I always teach them that life is always about equity, or life is always fair in that sense, then what I will be teaching them is I will be setting them up for depression when they realize that life does not work that way. Life is not equitable in that sense, and life is not fair. And let me tell you this, God isn't fair. God is sovereign. God has a plan, and he uses people how he wills. So he is not trying to massage your ego. He is trying to get something done. So just realize this. I'll bring home a doll. I'll go on a trip. I'll bring home a doll, and I'll give it to Faith. Like, here you go. And Leo will be like, (gasps) And I'll be like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, here you go. Yep. Leah, why don't you give your sister a hug? She's got a doll from me. I mean, it'll just destroy her. She'll be like, but I know, I know. I know. Give her a hug. Now let's let's celebrate. Come on, y'all. Let's celebrate. She has a, uh-huh, yeah. She got a doll. And she'll be like, but I, I, but you got a ton of dolls. You see, I've given you gifts. And you're mad because you don't have this gift, but you have a ton of gifts. So you go back in that room, celebrate the gifts you have, and celebrate the gifts she has, and be quiet. <laughs> and I wonder if that's what God says to us sometimes, like, Oh, my God, yes, she can sing, but you can sing too, boo-boo, stop. Oh, my God. Like, I wonder if the Lord does that. Like, you think you're a fashionista, and then you get on the train, and somebody dresses better than you, and God can feel it. God's like, oh, my God, stop. Stop it. I gifted you already. Why do you have to have everything? (laughs) But we're trying to teach them that because that's the way life works. That's the way God works. God is trying to get something done. And his love for you is bigger than just not trying to hurt your feelings. He really is committed to a great work in this world. He divides up the gifts as he wills. One of the last things I want to say, I kind of want to land the plane, is... um, Gifts are also not maturity. They're not a sign of maturity. You know, there is a tendency to believe, and I learned this early on, that when someone, even when someone can do something from up front and we're all just blown away, like, oh my God, that was from God, that does not mean that that person is a mature Christian. All right, the Bible makes a distinction. It talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, and the two are not the same thing at all. The fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says, is the evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, but it is seen in your character. The gifts of the Spirit are evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, but it is seen in your service. And so when the Holy Spirit works inside of you, in terms of your character, the, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. But if you look there at the very beginning of that verse, the word fruit is singular. So it is not saying fruits of the Spirit. It is talking about one fruit, and it is that first word, and it is love. That the ultimate fruit, the ultimate evidence of a mature Christian is a person that is loving, that is patient with people, that has joy in serving, that is kind. That is the ultimate fruit. That is the ultimate evidence. So when you get a person that is gifted and has character, stop the presses. That person is going to make a difference in this world because they're useful up front and behind the scenes. 
You can watch them do something incredible and then have a conversation with them and feel that you're not only being blessed by what they can do, but you're being blessed by who they are. And let me tell you more, let me just be clear. If you will work on your character, your gifting will flow. If you will focus more on being a loving person, your gifting will flow from that. Because the Holy Spirit is a helper. And when you start helping with a heart, with a pure heart, it changes the room, it changes the atmosphere, and it makes people feel blessed. And so know that that is the most important aspect. And so that's why normally when I would go through and do a gift series or if I talk through the gifts, I'll talk about each one. But I think we get lost in that because we're so hungry to find our identity that we're looking and saying, am I leader, the helps, administration, what do I do, who am I? And we're just too focused on who we are and not what needs to be done. And so they're not a sign of maturity. But over time, God can wed the two together and, and watch you do incredible things. Let me give a last word on this issue of love. Jesus was talking one time, and while he was talking, he was getting challenged by the Pharisees. And as they challenged him, they began to say to him, out of all the commandments in the Old Testament, we know that there are six, seven hundred. Is there one that's most important? I mean, is there one that goes above all other commandments? And really what they were getting at is, can you simplify the Old Testament for me? I mean, is there just like one thing I can do? You know, I, I really wasn't into studying and reading. You know, I just want to kind of know what's the one thing I have to do above all these hundreds of other things. And Jesus actually answers. They asked him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, this is the great and first commandment. And he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The law was seen in the first five books of the Bible. The prophets were seen in the other books. So he's saying the whole uh, Old Testament, everything that has ever been communicated about God depends on two commandments, love God and love people. And he says, everything else will work itself out. If you would focus on doing those two things, the other things will follow, he says. And so loving God and loving people at the heart of it all is what gifting is about. We are using our gifts to love people, to serve people. And if you are not in love with God and love people, then your gifting, though it is great, will have just so much of an effect. He says, love. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13, in his summation about gifts, he then says this incredible thing. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. It serves me no credit in, in the sake of eternity, for the sake of eternity. I'm really not seen as anything. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, I have not love. I gain nothing. You know, that last part of that, you should see the weight of that. There was a Roman emperor, and that Roman emperor used to actually see Christians and persecute them. And if they were identifying themselves as Christians, he would take them, and he would put them in, their, in his courtyard, and he would bind them up, and he would light them on fire, and he would use them as candles to light up his courtyard. And so the key was whether or not someone would admit that they were a Christian, because if they admitted they were a Christian, many of them would be signing up for martyrdom and having their body to be burned. And what Paul is saying is there might be people that actually say, you know what, I'm a Christian, I'll step up, unlike these other people, I'll be burned, and you can have your body drug up there, be bound up, get lit on fire, scream out, I love God, burn up, and not love God at the same time. Mm 
He says you can do all that and still not be a loving person. He says you can give all your money. I give my money to the church. He says you can give all your money and still not be a loving person. So he kind of gives you what is the one thing I have to do to make an impact for God. And that is to love. To be loving. And maybe you should kind of put your spiritual resume away for a second all the things you've ever done, and now start asking, was I loving when I did it? Because he says, that's what I'm looking at. That, you know, this idea of gaining nothing and being nothing, he's looking at your heart. God is looking at our heart. So how can you, how can you have that focus on love? How can you become that kind of person? Let me say right now, I, we're going to, at the end of the message, talk about taking a spiritual gift survey. I think those things are really good. I think doing Strengths Finder is really good. I think Myers-Briggs is really good. I think this test, I think all those things are really good. But whatever, whatever that thing, whatever a spiritual gift test says, or whatever a personality test says, does not define what God is calling you to do, per se. God may call you to do things that you never saw yourself doing. He is the God of surprise. So just all, all I'm, so what I want to tell you is focus on loving people and helping people and you will see God do things through you that you couldn't have ever imagined. So the question becomes, how can I fall more in love with God? One verse that talks about the greatest gift, Romans 6 and 23. It says the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amazing how the picture there is the word wages. It is a financial term. And it is this idea of being in debt. And so what the Bible is essentially saying is because God is a holy God and set apart and altogether different from us, when we do things that are not according to his standard, they offend him and they put us in his debt. And we become indebted to God. And the tension that we feel when we sin isn't just because we have a strong conscience. It's because there is a holy God that we can feel and we know that is real. And God is not just like a grandfather saying, oh, she's really a good person. He's really a good guy. What he is actually doing is he is looking upon your sin and he is accounting for it. There is a debt. And that's why at times you'll feel guilt and shame because you feel the debt that you have with God. The contrast there is but. The free gift of God is eternal life. That is the greatest gift that we've been ever given. It is the gift of Jesus paying our sin debt. It is him taking on everything that I've ever thought of or I've said or I've done that I know is offending God. He takes on my sin. And in taking on my sin, I now am set free to live a life of loving him. And serving others. There is a very good chance that when you see the word wages and you see the word free gift, it is penetrating your mind, but it hasn't touched your heart. And really the question becomes, how great was the wage? How great was the wage that you had? You know, one time, Natasha and I, we owed the government, not based upon anything we'd done, it was, a, it was a problem with our taxes. And we made a mistake on our taxes. And it, it happened several years in a row. I'd just become a pastor. I didn't know how to do my taxes right. And I was accruing debt without realizing it. 
And I remember the tax man sat me down and I thought I was getting a check. And he's like, oh no, you're not about to get paid. You owe the government. He said, you owe them $13,000. And he says, and that was for last year. You see, this year you owe them $6,000. So you're $19,000 in the hole. And because we had, we didn't have enough money to pay all our debts, so we kept paying, but every year we would get more debt. And so even though we were working hard, at the end of the day, we had insufficient funds. But I'll never forget the day that we met a different tax guy. We went down to Atlanta, and he says, you know, there's ways where you can go back and actually get those taxes, all those things in the past, you can get those worked out. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He says, let me work on it for you. So I remember we were sitting down at our kitchen table. We were in Atlanta, this is 2011. We had taxes from 2007 all the way to 2011. So it was over $40,000. And we just, it was just hanging over us every day, every day. Couldn't do anything with it. We just had that debt over our heads. We sat down with this tax man. And, I, and of course, I'm like, okay, what do we, give it to me. He says, well, I worked it out. He was talking. And I could just tell in his posture something was different. And I was like, what's about to happen? And he's talking and he's talking and he's talking. And he says, so I want to let you know, I want to let you know that you won't have to worry about that $40,000 of debt anymore. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I was able to go back and I realized that, you know, there were certain things you weren't doing. So you get all that money back. And I said, wow. He says, but this is what I want you to realize. Here's a check for $40,000. Because not only were you able to have your debts paid, but you're also now $40 in the green. And we sat there, and I remember my wife was like, is he, is he a swindler? Where is he? Do a background check. I know he must be lying. And we just, I remember we just walked away and we were like, what just happened? Not only was our debt paid, but a gift was given to us. Something beyond what we could have imagined. We were, we were infinitely in the red and we walked away with abundance in the green. And what the Bible says is that you are dead in your trespasses, meaning you are dead in sin and you have no hope to be with God. And now he turns you into his child, meaning you sit at the table and you commune with him and you walked in in the red with him. But now you're in the green. And, and I really think the word gift will mean something to you when the word wage means something to you. The greatness of that gift is based upon your understanding of the depth of your debt. And I wonder how deep you think your debt is or was. I want to encourage you. Stop focusing on other people. Stop being controlled by other people's gifts. Stop finding your identity in what other people do. Enjoy the Holy Spirit. Enjoy your gifts. Enjoy who you are. Enjoy who you are. Enjoy who you are. Enjoy Him. And enjoy God. Be blessed by God. Experience God. Love God and love people and love Him for what He's done for you and love people based upon what He's done for you. Enjoy Him. And stop comparing and let go. This life is too short. Enjoy him. One last analogy we saw, we, were, we, were, we went to see The Jungle Book, amazing movie. Yes, my wife and I went to see a kid's cartoon by ourselves. Because that was like the next level. And you know, if you know the story, you have Mowgli, this little boy. And there are all these you know, wolves fighting 
this one tiger, and he runs up to go fight the tiger, and this panther comes over. It's a cartoon, so work with me. The panther comes over and stops Mowgli, and he says, don't, don't run over to him with your bare hands. He says, no, I want to go. I, I, I want to go, and I want to fight him. He says, no, the wolves have claws, and you're a man, and you have hands. And he says to him, fight like you're a man. Don't try to fight like a wolf. You aren't a wolf. You're a man. And for many of you, you see the people that get the praise and you're trying to be like them. And I want you to be set free from the bondage of comparison. And I want you to be set free from the bondage of insecurity. Stop counting the praises that other men get and start praising your God for who he's made you to be. Enjoy God. Father, we thank you for how you've made these people here. Thank you for how you've made them. God, would you turn their comparison into celebration? Turn, the, turn that need in them to be noticed and turn that into a deeper desire to see how you already notice us. The Bible says you chose us before the foundation of the world. The Bible says we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you've prepared beforehand. You notice us. God, let us stop defining ourselves by how many likes we get, how many times we are noticed, how many times we are celebrated by the praises of men, and let us enjoy the fact that we have been given a position by God, seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm at the table, and I am a child, and I want to turn the way that I enjoy the praises of men, turn that into enjoying the praises of God and how he says that I'm his child because I am who he says I am. That's what's important about me. I am who God says I am. And I am his child. And I am very important. And the eyes of men that notice me don't define me. Living inside of me is the Holy Spirit. And I am very useful to my God. God, would you create that freedom in our people? Would you, would, you, would you break the yoke? Would you break the yoke of comparison and give a freedom in this room in such a way where there is joy, joy in God, joy in how I've been made, joy in how I've been designed. And we give you all the praise. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.